Business Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, CES bans cannabis technology and the U.S. milk industry goes sour. But first, the hospital merger mess. So when we hear political or media discussion of America's healthcare system, it's often about how much it costs, with most of the blame being aimed at insurance companies or drug companies, or both. But healthcare, it's really a three-legged stool with providers representing the final integral piece. And lots of the providers work within hospitals, which have been on a merger binge. 117 U.S. hospital mergers in 2017, 90 in 2018, and another 71 through last September, which means last year's number is going to be about on pace. And why all of that matters is that most independent research shows that patient prices rise between 6 and 7% after a hospital merger, despite all the so-called synergies that get touted in the public deal announcements. How come? Well, basically there is less competition, particularly outside of metropolitan areas where hospitals can be hard to come by. And now the story actually gets even a little bit worse as a new study published in the New England Journal of Medicine finds that hospital mergers don't improve clinical care and they actually result in modestly lower patient satisfaction. In other words, we are paying more for less, and there's no reason to believe it'll change as new hospital mergers continue to be announced. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios healthcare reporter, Bob Herman. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent, Ina Fried, shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to DC. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. We're joined now by Axios Healthcare reporter, Bob Herman. So Bob, most independent research shows that hospital mergers result in increased patient costs, but the actual hospital industry disputes that, correct? That's right, yeah. I, there's been a lot of research lately that shows when hospital systems merge, they gain more market power and consequently raise prices, and that leads to higher premiums for everyone, yep. There's no sort of real regulation on that, correct, in terms of you know how much uh, a hospital charges for an MRI or for a doctor's visit or anything like that. Obviously, insurance will cover or not cover things, but there's no overarching you know price caps on anything, correct? Right. I mean, Medicare is the federal program that covers seniors and, and disabled people, and that pays fixed rates for certain things. But in the, in the private insurance market, hospitals charge whatever they deem fit. And depending on how much market power they have or how much brand power they have, if, if they're very, if a very sought-after system, insurers may have no choice but to pay higher prices. And this new study, which so cost is one thing, but this new study which shows kind of lower patient satisfaction, how do we explain that? Why? It's one thing that, I mean, outside of perhaps because they're paying more for the same procedure, why is patient satisfaction lower and care levels not seemingly improved at all? I think it's important to say, so when hospitals merge, there's always the two overarching things that they say will happen. The first is what we just talked about, it'll lower patient costs, which we know now is pretty much not the case. And then the second one is the quality of care will improve. And this study looked at that part. And this, this study basically says that that also, there's no evidence behind that. So these researchers, they looked at not just patient experience, you know, how your stay went, how were your nurses, but also actual clinical measures related to heart care, surgical care. And they, they ran an actual study to look to see if post-merger, if those measures improved at all. And Again, they didn't. There's no evidence that they got 
uh, any better. And, and when it comes to patient experience, there's some evidence that maybe things got worse. So this kind of tackles that second question of the justification of the, behind hospital mergers. And, and it really kind of undermines hospitals' rationales quite a bit, actually. Every now and then, uh, particularly when it comes to other things that, that are essentially consumer prices, when, when two companies, not hospital companies, other companies merge and they say, you know, the average price will go down by 50 percent or it won't rise or whatever. And then it proves to not be true. Federal regulators sometimes come in and, and kind of force the issue a little bit. That doesn't seem to happen in hospital following hospital mergers, correct? I would say it's rare. The, the Federal Trade Commission does regulate hospital mergers. And in many instances, over the past few years, they've looked at ones that have been, that they've deemed to be anti-competitive. But they're really few and far between because so many of these mergers, they're, they're so local, they don't garner the same kind of antitrust review that other big, maybe national companies command. And just as problematic, there's even uh, one level deeper, hospitals buying doctors groups. Some of those deals are so small, but they are honestly just as important because those doctors are, they're the referral drivers. Patients, they send patients to those hospitals. If the hospital just commands the entire chain, you know, they kind of control patient care. And, and really the antitrust uh, reviewers, they don't have enough resources to look at all that. So it, Antitrust review is very limited, I'd say. You know, Bob, we've had this kind of flurry of deal activity in the hospital merger space over the last three years. I guess technically a, a kind of high watermark two years ago, but still very active in, in 2018, 2019. Is there any reason to believe it's going to slow down if, if for nothing else that there's just not as many to buy since there have been so many already combined? Right. That's actually a good point. So the recently there have been quite a few hospital system mergers that were the two sides of decided to scrap them. They never really disclosed all the reasons, but I think part of it is they realized that they actually might get antitrust review. I still think that there is a deep desire for hospitals to merge with one another, though, again, they'll cite lower costs and better care, which we know is not really the case now. But there's a desire to uh, at least coordinate care a little bit. And maybe there's some, you know, reason that could be the case. But hospitals, it really comes down to market power. If, if hospital systems have market power, they could they could get better rates from private insurers. And, and that's ultimately what's at the heart of these things. Bob, final question for you, which is a political one, which is when this research comes out and, and it gets talked about and we talk about it, is there any reason to believe any of this stuff is going to become part of the political debate where it seems that, that maybe because, you know, we all like our doctor and like our nurse and our hospital is okay, the providers and, you know, from a corporate level or even the individual level, it just doesn't seem to be part of the general cost and healthcare system debate in America. Right. It's a good point because hospitals and doctors, they are kind of the lifeblood of their community. Hospitals in particular often are the largest employers in their community. So politicians, there's no political benefit to them to start ripping on their hospitals and doctors because everyone presumably loves them. But it, it is impossible to ignore the U.S. healthcare system's price and spending problem without looking at hospitals and doctors. And the evidence just continues to pile up that if, if more of them are merging, if more are going under one system, it's not really resulting in better care or savings for anyone. So, but again, politically, it's just, it's not in anyone's best interest to rip into that a little bit. Axios Healthcare reporter, Bob Herman, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. 
Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the annual Consumer Electronics Show, which is taking place this week in Las Vegas. Attendees are getting to see all sorts of new car gadgets and drones and connected fitness equipment. What they aren't seeing, though, is anything related to marijuana. Now, this is a bit like last year's CES ban on sex toys, which was later reversed with makers of cannabis tech crying foul. For its part, the event organizer, CTA, is blaming legislators, claiming that because marijuana remains illegal at the federal level and is also banned in some of the hotels in Vegas, it would be improper to allow marijuana devices at the conference. One affected company here is something called Keep Labs, which makes a digitally enhanced storage device for marijuana that actually received an innovation award from CTA, but was told it could only present at the conference if it removed all references to cannabis. It declined. And finally, Milk is in trouble. Yeah, milk. Yesterday, a 163-year-old U.S. dairy called Borden filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Borden's the one with the cow mascot called Elsie on its products, and its move comes just a month after the country's largest dairy group, Dean Foods, also filed for bankruptcy protection. The big issue here is that Americans are drinking less milk, a lot less. The U.S. Agriculture Department puts the decline at around 40% since 1975, and producers have also been hampered by rising costs related to such non-milk factors as a shortage of truck drivers. In short, it has been a rough 24 hours for both marijuana and milk, which you could say are maybe America's least and most wholesome consumer products. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national bobblehead day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.